Amen. You can have a seat. And welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. So glad that you are here. I want to introduce myself probably for the first time ever, but my name is Curtis Jones. I'm actually the pastor of this great church, and it's been a while since I've been here. I apologize for that. But uh, somebody had the great, great, great idea that we should start a church out in Cyprus right before Christmas. And we did that, and then, then we went and visited my folks in Missouri. And so long story short, I'm really glad to be back here with you this morning. Why don't you turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for not running in the marathon. <laughs> Makes me feel so good. Makes me feel so good that you don't do things like that either. I didn't even bother thinking about it as a New Year's resolution. Nah, if I wanted to go 26 miles, I'm going to get in my car. (laughs) I was thinking about getting stickers that we just gave out this morning that said, I've never ran 26.2 miles, (laughs) or just 26.2 with a circle over it. I just love it. But if you know somebody, bless them in Jesus' name. We're glad that they, they ran. Bless them. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. This is our word for the year that hopefully will hang over us like a banner. We're going to do this message today and a handful of times this next calendar year we'll come back with this kind of message. We're going to start Colossians chapter 1 next week and we're going to work our way through Colossians. I'll be back here next Sunday uh, to start Colossians. But our word for the year is revival. Why don't you say that with me church? Revival. I don't know what you think of when you say the word revival. The thing that immediately comes back to my mind when I was a child, we were a church going family, and, and so that meant Sunday mornings at church, Sunday nights at church, and Wednesday nights at church. That's how we did it when I was growing up. But on revival week, you went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And if it was especially good revival, you went back on Friday night. The highlight of every revival week was what they called high attendance Sunday or high attendance night. And that is where uh, they would have a potluck dinner after the revival meeting. Now, you don't know what a potluck dinner is because you live in the land of Papacitos and other Papa restaurants. But um, a potluck dinner is when you would come to church, but you would bring a dish with you. And then the whole church would put those dishes together and eat them. And I, as a teenager, I loved high attendance night at revival week because you got... And more than enough food for even a teenage boy, and it was everybody's A game. You know, like nobody was bringing their second or third dish because reputation was at stake. You know what I mean? And so everybody would bring their best offering, and you just got to eat as much as you wanted to because people weren't sure if you were a visitor or a regular person, you know? So who's going to stop you from going back for fourths and fifths and sixths, you know? And so maybe that's what you're thinking of as a revival, but. The revival that we are looking for in 2014, the revival that I think we can see in the pages of the scripture, is a greater pouring out of what the Holy Spirit of God is always doing. See, we are followers of Jesus, but Jesus is not here, at least not tangibly, at least not presently, which is a problem if we're his followers. I mean, imagine how those first followers felt 
They dedicated their life to following Jesus for those three years. At the end of those three years, he was crucified. They were sad. He was resurrected. They were happy. But then he ascends up into heaven. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus without Jesus in close proximity. But Jesus says, don't be discouraged. Don't be troubled because it's actually good for you that I go away because I'm going to give you a gift. And that gift is the spirit of God. So when people decide and place their faith in Jesus, they decide to be followers of Jesus. Instead of Jesus coming back tangibly to hang out, with you. He does something better for the church. He sends the spirit of God. So when you placed your faith in Jesus, when you were transferred from death to life, the Holy Spirit of God came and lived in, came to live inside of you. And he's with you. The Holy Spirit is always at work in your life and around your life. He's always drawing people to Jesus. He is always illuminating our minds to understand who Jesus was and who he is. He is drawing our hearts to place that faith in Jesus. He's doing miracles among us. He is always at work. But in a season of revival, that work is intensified, as one author calls it. That cup of the Spirit of God being poured out on your life is pushed all the way over, dumped all the way out. And that's the kind of revival that we are looking for in 2014, not just a small measure of the Spirit of God, but all the Spirit is willing to pour out on us in 2014. There have been great revivals throughout history. In fact, some of the revivals were so great, you learned about them in your public school, starting with the Great Awakening in the early 1700s in the northeast part of the United States with people like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley. The Methodists came out of that great awakening. Years later, in the mid-1800s in Manhattan, there was a downturn in the economy, something that we can't relate to. There was a downturn in the economy, and uh, churches were moved to start opening their doors at lunchtime for these people to come and pray. And out of the, those lunchtime prayers, great revival started springing up in that part of the United States. And after that revival, there was a period where 80% of the people who lived in Manhattan were Christians. And were not just Christians, but they were church-going Christians. Can you imagine 80% of the population of Houston, Texas, finding their way into the house of God this morning somewhere in our city? About 50 years after that, there was a great revival in Wales which spread to Los Angeles to a place called Azusa Street where the Assemblies of God um, denomination was birthed. The Assemblies of God are the largest denomination on planet Earth right now and the most active in missions around the world. It started with a revival in Los Angeles. In the 1960s, you remember the hippies. Some of you may have even been hippies. Well, a revival broke out among the hippies and they became known as the Jesus people. And, uh, and they, they didn't just go back to church and shave their beards and their long hair. They let God work among them. And that revival spread to the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians and the Catholics in the early 1960s. But worldwide revival, revival, I think, is hard for us to get our minds around. Even national revival, those stories seem so old and so distant from our life. But widespread revival is just a coming together of a bunch of local revivals, which is the coming together of a bunch of revivals within churches, which is really a church revival is just the coming together of a bunch of people who have been revived. And maybe you've experienced that. I know I've told you my story many times, but I want to tell it to you again because I want you to know it well. When I was 16, as I mentioned, we were a church-going family. I was 16 or 17, but my heart was asleep towards God. I don't know if you know what that feels like. It's like you're just sleepwalking through your faith. 
It was so bad that one Saturday night, my mom and my sister were headed to this Christian event, and my mom called me while she was waiting in line to invite me to church. Now, you have to be in trouble for your mama to invite you to church. If your mama got you here today, she's concerned about you, all right? And for whatever reason, I said yes, and so I show up at this event. I didn't even have the decency to sit with her. I sat on the other side of the room, which is so cold. I'm a terrible son. I need to call her today and apologize. Uh, but I didn't sit with her, and, uh, and as I mentioned before, the message was great. I mean, it was real simple, and my big commitment at the end was just to try not to make fun of anybody at the, the week. That was my spiritual gift, making fun of people, and I just tried to not do that. That was my big commitment. I'm just going to say nice things about people or not say anything at all. Seven days later, I was a totally different person. Totally. The beginning of who I am today. And if you're like me today and, and you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm sleepwalking through my faith. I'm numb, I'm stale. And you came to me after church today and said, I- I'm just like you, tell me what you did so that that same thing can happen to me. Honestly, I wouldn't know what to tell you. I don't know. I didn't do anything special. And I'd end up saying the same things that pastors say, which is read your Bible, pray, go to church. I, I don't know what happened other than the work the Spirit had always been doing in my life. He just poured out in a fuller measure. And maybe you've experienced that before, or maybe this will be the year that you experience revival. And the hope would be that you will experience revival and the person next to you and the person across the room and pretty soon revival is breaking out among our whole church and our churches, it's happening in other churches in our city and pretty soon Houston, Texas is on fire with revival which spreads to many cities in America. That could happen because of what happens to you today or this week or this year. I think the truth is, is that most of us today are asleep or we are stale or we are stuck. And we're prime candidates for a revival. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now that is, uh, sounds just like something that the book of Revelation would say. What is it talking about? Well, a little rewind. The book of Revelation written to seven churches. Those seven churches are represented by those seven stars that are in the hands of Jesus, which is talking about in verse 1. And the seven spirits of God, most biblical scholars believe seven being a number of completion. It's talking about the fullness of the spirit of God. So Jesus, this is the message is from Jesus to this church in Sardis. And Jesus is armed with the churches in his hand and with the fullness of the spirit of God, ready to pour that spirit out on this church. I want you to turn to the left, one page, to Revelation chapter 1. Now, some of us may be confused about what the book of Revelation is all about. It's the prediction of future events. That's not the main purpose of the book of Revelation. It does predict future events, but the main purpose of the book is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if anybody asks you, what, what's the book of Revelation all about? Before you start saying, well, the sun is going to turn to blood and the, 
Animals are going to have weird heads and there's going to be horn. Before you get there, now get there, people will be blessed by it. But before you get there, revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we see that played out. In the first uh, chapter, we see Jesus being revealed to John, the disciple. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is revealed to these seven churches. In chapter 5, Jesus is revealed to heaven as the Lamb of God. In uh, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is revealed to the whole earth as the ruler of the earth. This book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's why there's a background story, John's background story, starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, former disciple... Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What he's saying is I was on an island prison because I was preaching about Jesus. So John's in, on an island prison because he preached about Jesus. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It means on Sunday, the day of the Lord. He was in tune with the spirit. He was praying. He was He was focused, he was concentrating. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, Thyatira and to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. This is who John is talking about. And this is the one who is speaking in Revelation chapter 3, giving this message to this church in Sardis. This Jesus. Now it says that John fell over like a dead man, dead man when he saw Jesus. Because he's not seeing Jesus like the last time he saw Jesus. He's seeing Jesus at maximum glory. At full shine. And maximum awe. See, any revival that does not start with Jesus will not last. Any revival that does not start with Jesus will not last. In fact, I can tell you the way it will end. Because what will happen for many of us is you'll come today, just like I've come today, your heart will be stirred up by the amazing worship that we've already experienced, maybe through the word of God, and you'll leave and go, man, I, I need revival, and you will go home, and you will be revived, but then you'll come to this moment where it's not quite as fresh as it was in this room, and you'll think, I gotta ha- hang on to that freshness, what should I do? And you will end up just trying to do more of what you are already doing, or try to do a better version of what you are already doing. Well, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to watch these kinds of television shows instead of these kinds of television shows. 
I need to stop doing this. I need to start doing this. But any revival that doesn't start with Jesus and a clear revelation of Jesus just spins off into you working harder and you trying to be better. And listen, that's how all of us got to this point to begin with. If you are stale, I would guess you are stale because you just thought being a better Christian was you being a better version of you. If you are asleep, it's because you tried hard for years for this faith stuff to be real and for it to be fresh. And you couldn't hold on to it and now you're just sleepwalking. You're numb to everything that happens in the house of God. But true revival, it starts with a, it starts with the kind of revelation of Jesus that can carry you through that staleness. It starts with such an awe of Jesus that instead of getting to that moment and then you taking over, you come back to the revelation of Jesus. Here's the way that you know that you are a prime candidate for revival. When you read Revelation chapter 1, and we see this vision of Jesus, and then in verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Does that resonate with you? Not that any of us have ever gotten such a strong revelation and vision of Jesus that you passed out. But when you read about what John's experience was, do you go, I get that. I get that. I'm not personally experienced that maybe, but I get that. If you read it and you go, I don't understand that. I don't see why he would do that. Then you are a prime candidate for revival. Because all of us should carry this kind of awe for Jesus. And if you don't, your revival is over before it begins. Back to Revelation chapter 3. So this portion of the letter, specifically to the church in Sardis, which is in modern-day Turkey. And here's the message to that church. Jesus speaking. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. In the New American Standard, Standard Version of the Bible, instead of... It's saying you have a reputation of being alive. It says you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. I brought a picture with me this morning. It's a Christmas card uh, from two years ago, two Christmases ago of my family. I brought it. Is that not the most gorgeous family you've ever seen in your whole life? I mean, I tell you to be jealous, but that seems sinful. So just gaze upon it, but don't covet. Um, it's amazing. This was our Christmas card from two Christmases ago. I didn't use this year's Christmas card because I'm very cheap and I didn't let Amanda, you know, even buy enough to have one to spare to show you today. And uh, she got to send out only like five of them. So, because, uh, you know, you know how expensive they are. But it's a beautiful picture. I mean, my kids are smiling there. And uh, Amanda and I look like, you know, we are in perfect harmony always and at all times. And that everyone is looking at the camera. And I, I just wanted to tell you, what's behind this picture you know because there's always a story behind the perfect christmas card picture well we chose this picture to put on our christmas card because it was the only one available 
Because all the other pictures, my kids are fighting, Amanda and I, I mean, you can see the awkward tension in the picture because I'm frustrated by how much this photo session is costing. And the kids are frustrated because, listen to, listen to what we did. I'm such a terrible parent. We took them to this carnival, but told them we are not riding any rides. We are not playing any games. We are only getting our pictures taken. Who does that? Children already hate getting their pictures taken and I made them get something that they hate at something that they love but would not let them touch it, you know? There's no cotton candy happening because the cotton candy gets on the fingers, which gets on the clothes, which gets on the face, and that's not going to be good for the pictures. There are no games because the games cost money. There are no rides because you got to buy the ticket and everybody knows that's a racket. And, and uh, you know, we, we also, it looks like we're at this beautiful carnival we are in the dingiest parking lot in Houston, Texas. The building was so abandoned that the parking lot was it. It was boarded up with graffiti. Like you couldn't even see the wood. That's how much graffiti was on it. But what if, what if I just let you believe that this is what my family is like all the time? We're always smiling we're always loving one another. There are only, always fun and happy times at the carnival. And then you'd go home and you'd have real times. And your kids would be frustrating and you'd be frustrated with your spouse. And you'd look at this Christmas card hanging on the fridge and go, man, I bet nothing like that happens at their house. That's what the church of Sardis has done. <laughs> They've let everybody believe the picture. And they were honest about what was behind the picture. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So you know that you need revival today, church, when your reputation of faith is greater than your actual faith. You know you need revival when your reputation and your name outpaces your reality. You need revival when what everyone else thinks about you is better and greater and more inspiring than what is really true about you. See, whatever name or description you give yourself, it's worthless. I mean, you can just say to everybody, yes, I'm a righteous person. You don't have to say it with those words because most of us wouldn't do that. But you can let everybody believe that you're a righteous person. But whatever you name yourself is worthless. It's your life that performs. I mean, you can let everybody you know, think that you are a praying person. But what you name yourself and how you describe yourself is worthless. It's your life that performs. And most of our lives are not performing up to the standard that our reputation has set. And listen, the terrifying thing, the terrifying thing about your reputation outperforming your reality is because everyone else already thinks something about you, most of us will not be compelled to change because there's no credit in it for us. Everybody already thinks I'm righteous. Why should I work hard to be righteous? And most of us will hold on to our reality and just let our re reputation do all the talking. You know, some of us have given ourselves the name light, but we practice darkness. 
Some of us have given ourselves the name peace. But you are filled with rage. And the only person who knows it is that sweet lady sitting next to you right now. And your lovely children over in our kids' ministry. You've given yourselves the name kindness. But I am cold and heartless. We have given ourselves the name purity, but we are trapped and enslaved to all kinds of immorality. Many of us have given ourselves the name of faithful and faith-filled, but when it comes time to withdraw on that faith, we are cowards. What you name yourself today is meaningless. It's your life that performs. And listen, Jesus hates and rages against that gap of hypocrisy. The gap between what your reputation says you are and what you really are, Jesus hates that gap. If you're a first time here and you haven't been to church in a long time and you wonder what it is that God cares about and what God likes and what doesn't like, you can get a lot of wrong impressions by uh, judging Christian people based on how we are portrayed or how we represent ourselves in the media and on television. Listen, if you're a, a skeptic today and you want to know what Jesus hates, Jesus hates that. Jesus hates when his people act better than they really are. I want to show you an example of that. Turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Jesus was always in conflict with the religious elite. As you read the Gospels, you see that, and it's because of that. It's because everyone had the impression and reputation that they were godly. But they had actually been rejected by God because what they projected and what was true were not the same. This is what it says in Luke chapter 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So historians and biblical scholars believe that Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And in the temple, there were these offering boxes. Just like you come to church here at Bayou City Fellowship, at the end, we're going to take an offering and, and you may put something in or you may not put something in. It would be great if you did. I mean, if you don't, we won't be here next week, you know? So, uh, I mean, I'm lying. We, we will be here next week. We won't be here three weeks from now, but uh, we'll be here next week. And so, but instead of passing a plate in the temple, they just have these boxes. And historians tell us that when people would put in money, they would, it would make noise. It would clank around as the money went down, the coins went down in there. And so the story is, as Jesus is teaching and in the background you're hearing all this clank, 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 clank because all these wealthy people are coming in and putting all their money. But then this little widow comes over and she puts in our equivalent of two pennies, makes zero noise, zero. And Jesus says, she's the one. She's the impressive one. She's the one who is actually giving. Now, I don't judge those rich people. 
Because if I realized that people were going to be able to notice me giving and giving a lot, man, I'd trade my $2 for 200 pennies because it'd make a lot of noise. But then I start thinking, man, I wonder how much of my righteousness, all my prayer, reading the Bible, is just for that right there. Look at me. I go to church. Look at me. I live a clean life. Look at me. I don't read 50 shades of gray. I read 50 shades of grace. Look at me. I tweet scriptures. I got an update on my Facebook right now. God loves you, heart, emoticon. Listen, church, I'm honest. I'm honest with you. A lot of my righteousness in my life was done for somebody else. Notice me. Look at me. Be impressed by me. It's righteous noise. And it is devastating in the ears of Jesus. So we have two choices. We can either be honest and you can stop coming in here and I can stop coming in here and we can stop going to work and giving everybody the impression that our life is put together and we've got all this figured out and we're better than everybody else. We can just be honest or maybe the better option for many of us is not honesty, but maybe it's to start living up to the reputation that we have already set. So if everyone in here and everyone in your life thinks that you're gonna read the scripture this week, then by golly, read it. If everyone thinks that you are praying for them because that's what you put on your Facebook status, then before you send enter, get down on your face and pray for them. Because, listen, what does he say in Revelation chapter 3 to that amazing church in Sardis, which all of us would be impressed with? I know your works. He knows my projection. I cannot distract him with my noise to keep him from the truth. He sees through my clanging and into my heart. And if your reputation today has outpaced your reality, man, there's no condemnation. Listen, there's nobody's reputation that has outpaced your pastor's. But we are prime candidates for a revival. There's no period on the end of our sentence today. Just an opportunity. Because look what it says in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus gives him the message. And it is, honestly, it's a painful message to hear, especially from Jesus himself. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up. Wake up. 
and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. No formula to revival, but a part of a revival is just waking up. That word, the Greek word that's translated in English, wake up, is also used in the end of Matthew. I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26. This is where we'll end today. Jesus is on the verge of being arrested and being beaten and being crucified. And he goes to the garden to pray. It says, verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began, began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And two more times this happens. Jesus goes away to pray. He comes back. They're asleep. He goes away to pray. He comes back and they're asleep. Jesus has taken just three of his disciples. I mean, imagine that honor. The Savior of the world descends on planet Earth. Every generation before you was expecting him and waiting him, and he calls you to be among 12 to be his disciples. What an honor. What an honor. And then within the 12, he hand-selects you to be one of the three, and you get to see him do things that even the 12 didn't get to see and the 12 got to see him do things that the masses of people didn't get to see and that's what happened. So he takes his three, Peter, James, and John and they go further on in this garden because Jesus is gonna pray and Jesus needs them and asks them to pray with him. I mean, how many times has that ever happened where Jesus has had a legitimate need and he invites you into that need. He invites these men into that need. And what happens? They fall asleep. Now, I'm not casting any stones on falling asleep in prayer. I, I've done that before. In fact, for most of us, sleep and prayer go together. Amen? Don't amen that. But it's true. So for me, it's the, the tragedy here is not just that they fell asleep and, oh, that was bad. The tragedy is that they had an opportunity to stand with Jesus and they slept through their opportunity. See, we want revival to come to Houston, Texas. Man, not just for me and not just for you and not just for our church, but for our city. Our city needs revival in you so that you don't sleep through your opportunity. The best of us get 30,000 days on this planet. Half that time or a fourth of that time we'll spend asleep. For many of us, it's already halfway over. The clock is ticking and we're sleeping through our opportunity. So let's wake up. Let's wake up, 
church to the fact that many of us have given an impression that is not anywhere remotely connected to reality. And let's wake up to our responsibility to stand with Jesus with the limited amount of days that we have. Why? Because he says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. He has a to-do list for you in 2014. And listen, you will need to be fully awake to accomplish it. This is our word for the year. The greatest pouring out of the spirit of God that you have ever experienced, that we have ever experienced. This is the year of revival. Let's pray. So revive us. Jesus, revive us. Breathe your life back into dry and weary bones. Those of us who are asleep this morning, wake us up. Those of us who are stale this morning, let the freshness of your spirit's wind blow. Those of us who are stuck, who are trapped, who want more, who see more out there, but just can't get to it, make a straight path for us, a highway to our God. God, I believe that if you were willing to revive this church in Sardis, modern day Turkey, then you are willing to revive Bayou City Fellowship. If you were not going to pass this church by, then don't let, um, don't pass our church by. Revive us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer and ministry team is going to come and take their places as they do every week. This is your first time here. We end our services every week with a time of ministry and prayer because God, God's house should be a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said. And so if you're sick, we believe that God can intervene. Not only can he intervene, but he wants to intervene either to remedy your situation or to give you that strength and perseverance that you'll need to walk all the way through it. So if you're sick, come forward and pray. If you're just carrying a tremendous amount of anxiety today, come and pray. Great thing about being in the kingdom of Jesus is he shares everything that is his with you. And he has peace. He wants to share that peace with you today. And I believe that's available for you. And if you need to be revived today, if you need to wake up, if there are things about your faith that need to be strengthened, then come forward and pray. You're like, well, I don't have to come forward and pray. I can pray where I am. Uh, That's true. But I would guess that you've prayed that prayer before. God, help me do this. Help me be better at this, more of this. I, I would guess that you've stayed in your seat and you've prayed that prayer before and here you ended up in the same state that you've been in before. So what about this time, instead of just keeping your revival personal, why don't you come and ask God for it corporately with a brother or a sister? Because what does Jesus say? Hey, we're two or more agree on anything in my name, I will do it. And listen, I think there's not very many things that Jesus can get behind, like he, he can get behind revival in your life. So if you need to wake up today, if you need some revival, if there's something that needs to be strengthened in your life, you come and pray. And most of all, most of all, if you need to be saved today, if you need to be transferred into the kingdom of Jesus, today's your day. 
You can remain in the domain of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. You get to be the Lord of your life in the domain of darkness. You don't have to consult anybody. You don't have to pray. You don't have to look for a bigger picture. You don't have to keep anybody in consideration. You can be the total Lord of your life in the domain of darkness. But the problem is you have to live in the domain of darkness forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And what the scripture says, not what I'm saying, but what the scripture is saying under the wrath of God or you can believe in Jesus and be transferred into his kingdom and he will share with you everything that is his. He'll share his future with you, eternal life, his peace, his hope, his joy, his favor. So if you're ready to believe in Jesus, today's the day. I promise 2014 will be way different beyond 2013 when you give your life to Jesus. So you come and pray as you're ready. Father, answer these prayers according to Jesus' name. Amen. You come and pray.